Well, good morning. My name is Jeremy Kingsley. That's my wife, Dawn. Uh, on Saturday, July 30th, we're going to celebrate our 28th wedding anniversary. Uh, we got married in kindergarten. Uh, we have two boys, Jaden, who's 21, Dylan, who's 15, and we have a beautiful, uh, our little 10-year-old puppy dog named Cody. He's part of our family, too. But I want to start this morning with a question. Uh, have you ever met someone that marches to the beat of a different drum? You know what I mean? Like a person who maybe they dress different. Maybe they talk different. Maybe they like music that's not the most popular. Maybe they eat food that other people would probably never even touch. You know, I know that Elvis ate peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Now, I'm a big Elvis fan, but I don't like those sandwiches. But when I was little, I did love peanut butter sandwiches, just plain peanut butter sandwiches with an ice-cold glass of milk, but my mom wouldn't let me eat them every day. So sometimes she would substitute and make me eat some bologna sandwiches. So when I was about five or six, I thought maybe I should take my two favorite sandwiches and combine them to make a peanut butter and bologna sandwich, which I did. I know that's a little unorthodox. Don't judge. Maybe that was a sin. I'm not exactly sure. But I like people that march to the beat of a different drum, especially Christians, especially believers who walk like Jesus and they look different than the world looks. So I want to take a few minutes this morning to look at a guy in Scripture who was different than those around him. He did something that looked a little weird, probably seemed a little crazy. He built a huge boat, an ark, and his name was Noah. So we can learn some important principles from him and his life. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And to begin to understand Noah, it's good that we understand the time and the context in which he lived. So we'll start from the very beginning to kind of lead up to a few things. Let's quickly kind of review Genesis 1 through 5. So you guys know in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, that's the creation of the world and man, right? So in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now you know that was cool, right? God said, let there be light, and boom, there's light. I mean, he makes the sun, he makes the moon, he makes the stars, he makes the sky, the land, the water. He makes the plants. Now, that's important. That was on day three. Make sure you pay attention to that because those were the future ingredients that would later make Coca-Cola. So day three, it's very important, okay? He creates the animals. He said that it's good. The Bible says on the sixth day, in chapter 1, verse 26, that when he made man, he created them in his own image. He made male and female. In verse 31, it says, When the Lord looked over all that he had made, that it was very good, like a home run. So Adam and Eve, they're in this perfect relationship with God because there's no sin. But in chapters 3 through 5, we have some problems, the bad news. Because we see the temptation of man, we see the fall of man, and we see the judgment of man. You probably remember God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but when Satan approached Eve through the serpent and he tempted her to eat that forbidden fruit, she and Adam ate. And their disobedience plunged them and the entire human race into a state of sin and corruption. So soon after that, we have the story of Cain and Abel, and that became a huge conflict because their family lines they would go on to feud for a really long time. And that kind of brings us to our text in Genesis chapter 6. So look at verses 5 through 7. It says this. 
The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth, yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky, I am sorry I ever made them. So at this point in history, right, bad times. Society is developing along these two family lines of Cain and Abel. When Abel was killed, it became the line of Seth, right? So think Cain's descendants. Cain's descendants, they neglected and denied God on his line. But on the opposite side of Seth, we have people that worshipped and served God. One group was godly, the other was ungodly. One group wanted to live to please God, the other wanted to live to please themselves. So over the first nine to ten generations, the ungodly numbers grew and the godly numbers began to shrink. And the earth became so wicked, so corrupt, it's filled with immorality and violence, lying, murder, sexual sin, the list goes on, and God decides he's going to intervene in a big way. What was God's reaction to this? Two things. Number one, judgment. Because God's holy, God's just, sin has to be punished. That's true, that's right, and that's fair. There's a big issue that you all know what's going to happen. He's going to destroy everyone through the flood, judgment. But don't think that God's judgment is lacking love because it's not. He doesn't take joy in his discipline. He's not sadistic. A father doesn't take pleasure in punishing his children. It says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Now, we also overlook sometimes the second piece of this puzzle, which is, look at Genesis 6-6. By the way, if you have trouble remembering Scripture, this one's easy because Michael Jordan was 6-6. Genesis 6-6 says, So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth, and it grieved his heart. Maybe yours says it broke his heart. In verses 5 and 6, this is the first time in the entire Scripture that the word heart is used. Did you know that God has a heart? He's not a rock. He's not a stone. He's not a piece of wood. He has a heart and He cares and He loves. So you have to remember, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, the perfect relationship now was broken. It's broken. So is there any chance for people to be forgiven? For the relationship to be restored? Yes, how do we know that? It comes up even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You might remember God made a promise that a Messiah would come, a Savior would come. It's the first promise after Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit. Theologians, they like to call it the proto-evangelium or the first gospel because these words were spoken by God. They contain the first promise of redemption in the whole Bible. Maybe you remember in that verse where it says that Satan will strike his heel. That kind of refers to Satan's many attempts to cripple mankind and defeat Christ. But Jesus would crush his head. You like that, don't you? A foreshadowing of Jesus defeating Satan and evil through his death and his resurrection and his return. So God fulfills his promises. Don't forget that God has a heart and he loves people. But you do have to say, wait a second, time out. This kind of doesn't make sense. How can God bring a promised Savior if he's going to wipe out everybody? How can that happen? Well, one of the most amazing things as you learn about God's judgment 
It allows you to learn the greatness of his mercy and grace. Look at verse 8, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, a different guy, right? This guy marches to the beat of a different drum. I love this guy. It says in Genesis 6, 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. So Noah is a righteous man. He's a blameless man. He walks close with God. Now, this doesn't mean that he's perfect. We know later in Genesis we find out that he sinned in some different ways, but here he's walking faithfully with God. His obedience is complete. It's consistent. I like the phrase, his inner character and his outer actions glorified God. His inner character and his outer actions glorified God. What a statement. He walked in close fellowship with God. Wouldn't it be great if people said that about you? Hey, did, did you, know, you know, Julie, man, she walks close with God. Man, you know Frank has an intimate relationship with God. Do you want that? Christians, I hope that you do. When you walk close with God, obedience is the natural outgrowth of that. Are you aware of that? See, it says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. When I disciple guys, I like to ask them the question, why obey? I don't know if they know this verse. It's not because you have to. It's because you love him. Obedience for the wrong reason is called legalism. I don't get Dawn flowers because I have to. I get her flowers because I love her. It says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God to keep his commands, and his commands are no longer burdensome. You guys know the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 37, Love the Lord your God, let your heart, soul, mind, strength. I mean, we should be doing that. We want to live to please him, to give him glory. That's what Noah's doing. Now, what's so amazing about this is that he's obeying God when the whole world around him is not. When everyone else's thoughts and actions were continually totally evil, when everyone around him was consumed with sin and disobedience, he's following God. That's an interesting thought right there, practically speaking, right? Noah is the opposite of the world. He stands up to everyone during his time and he says, No, I will not conform to the sinful culture. I will not be talked into participating into the sinful trends of the day. I'm not just going to follow the crowd because everyone's doing it. I'm I'm not going to do that. My goal is not to please myself. My goal is not popularity. My goal is to love and please the heart of God. So principle number one, if you're taking notes, live godly in an ungodly world. Live godly in an ungodly world. So outside of his family, right? You guys know his family. He has his wife. He has his three sons. We have Shem, Ham, Japheth, right? And their wives. That's it. Outside of that family, he's all alone. So can you imagine being by yourself Really, in a situation like that? I mean, here, at least we have a lot of things. Like, we have the church. We have the complete Bible. We have Christian friends. We have Christian podcasts. We have Christian books. Now, you know, it can still be hard for us, though. It can still be hard. I mean, it's easy to be a Christian in this building right now, but, you know, it's Sunday. What about at home? What about at work? What about with your neighbors? It's not easy. You know, we used to tell teenagers, you know, watch out for peer pressure. But all of you adults know that doesn't go away. You still feel pressure. Adults have to deal with being tempted to follow the world. You may not have any believers where you work. You might get pressured where you work to compromise in a multitude of ways. You may get pressured to cut corners. You might get pressured to cheat on your spouse. 
There's a ton of pressure to indulge in the sins of the culture. And when you're in these situations, as believers, we need to pray. We need to ask for wisdom, ask for strength, ask for faith. We need to surround ourselves with godly people. We need to read and rely on his word. Walk closely with God like Noah did. Now, you can't walk close with God and let the world dictate how you should walk with them. It doesn't work like that. Live godly in an ungodly world. So God says he's going to destroy, right, the human race through this flood off the face of the earth, but Noah, you and your family are going to be saved. Now, how is this actually going to happen? How's it going to happen? It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So God starts to give some instructions, and Noah may not necessarily understand all that's going on here or all the reasoning behind it. Because what is rain? What is a great flood? God says, listen, just trust me and do what I say, please. So Noah, he's supposed to build this ark. Now, I'm not talking about a canoe. I'm not talking about a kayak. I'm not talking about a nice 20-foot bass boat, guys. No, that's not what we're talking about. This ark is going to be really big, this huge floating structure, right? It's going to be one and a half football fields long. It's going to be four stories high. There's only going to be one door. Now, there's going to be storage rooms and living quarters, certain open areas for the animals, and it's going to be waterproof, sealed on the inside and out with pitch. Now, Noah, he can't run down to Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, he can't get the cordless DeWalt 15-amp, 7-and-a-quarter-inch circular saw with the single-beam laser guide. See that? No, can't do that. Now, I have, I have to be honest. I do have a lifetime ban from all Lowe's and Home Depots. Got kicked out of Cub Scouts in third grade, but we can talk about that some other time. There's not going to be any chainsaws, circular saws, miter saws, band saws, table saws. This is going to be done old school, right? So it's going to take him over 100 years to build. And what's interesting about this boat is there's no engines, there's no oars, no sails, no rudders. Why? Because God's going to direct that thing, man. God will move it. God will guide it. God will protect it. He wants him to trust and obey. So I have to wonder, what was Noah thinking with, with this info? You know, if you put yourself in Noah's shoes, was he just going, what, how, where, wh how is this actually going to work? Principle number two, trust and obey God even when you don't understand. Trust and obey God even when you don't understand. Sometimes God asks us to do things that don't always make sense. And there was something that Noah needed during this time. Faith. It says in Hebrews eleven seven, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about these things that had never happened before. Proverbs chapter 3, you might be familiar with verses 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Sometimes we don't understand, but we still need to trust. So I was thinking, I wonder what that was like on the first day. What was that like for him on the first day? Noah starts cutting down that first tree. Doosh, doosh, cutting down that first tree. I mean, was he good at math? Was he processing this a little bit? Did he say, okay, this thing's going to be 150 yards long. I'm on my first tree. It's going to be four stories high. Yeesh. I may be off here, but uh, if I cut this many trees a day, and then you got the chiseling and the ceiling of the pitch and... 
uh, carry the four. This is going to take a really long time. But guess what? It says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. Has God ever asked you to do something hard? Something that you knew would have some obstacles, maybe some challenges? Will you still obey him completely? Besides the obstacles of the job, you know he had to deal with something. People, right? <laughs> sometimes we love people, sometimes it's people that gets on our nerves. I wonder how that was happening when people were kind of passing by watching Noah do all this. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? It's a huge boat. Why do you need a huge boat? Protection. Protection from what? Well, God told me he's going to bring this great flood. Water's going to cover the whole earth, destroy everything and everyone, because he's going to punish sin. That don't make any sense. How long is it going to take you to build that thing? I don't know, maybe 100-something years. You're crazy, man. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. A flood that covers the whole earth? That's never going to happen. This guy's wacko. I mean, I don't know what happened. What were they thinking when, when he was building that thing? But when you live by faith and you're following God, people are going to look at you a little bit weird. They might look down on you. And as you obey God, don't be surprised if others kind of disregard you. They look at you as strange or weird or different. And sometimes your obedience to God often makes others' disobedience stand out. Sometimes your obedience to God can make others' disobedience stand out. So there are people today that think, you know what, this whole God sins salvation thing is a joke. It's not. And the people of Noah's time were about to find out in a real serious way. You know what else is interesting about this section of long time where he's building this thing? It says in 2 Peter 2, 5, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's interesting. He was a preacher of righteousness. Principle number three, witness in your work. Witness in your work. This guy's talking about God to people as he's chopping down trees, as he's chiseling logs. He has these instructions. He has to design, and each day he has certain jobs to accomplish. But all during this time, he's preaching about God and his righteousness. How did this look? We don't know. Did he preach to groups that came over around lunchtime? Don't know. Did he talk about Adam and Eve and their sin, but then share about the promise of the Savior that could come? Did he explain how we could love and trust and obey God? I don't know. Did he say it's going to rain and that people reacted like we do with the local weatherman? Yeah, Enosh over on Jerusalem Channel 5 said some things that he's never right. No, it's talking about water falling from the sky. I don't think that's probably going to happen. He's working hard, and he's not ashamed to witness about the Almighty God. You know what's interesting about that? Believers, Christians, it's interesting that I see Christians talk about their favorite sports teams, brag and boast about how great their teams are. They get into arguments to defend their team. I've seen Christians talk about politics with some of the greatest passion I've ever seen them speak with. I've seen people that are Christians talk about the latest Netflix show and how excited they are about it. But for some reason, they'll never stand up and talk about Jesus. 
Do the people in your life know all the things you care about, your family and your favorite food and your team and your hobbies, but they don't know who your Savior is? That's not right. Witness in your work. Don't just talk about the other things that you care about. Talk about the one that's the most important, the Savior, Jesus. We need to witness in our work. I know you're probably wondering, why is he crying? I have allergies. <laughs> Chang, be back, you missed, before the next service. Appreciate it. Well, after years of hard work, one day it happens. Drip. Bloop. The world. Bloop. Blop. What is, is there water coming from the sky this is really happening it's rain i mean noah he grabs his checklist he starts talking to his family okay guys this thing's really going on i mean it's time to go let's get our checklist going here okay uh let's get the animals on are the animals coming on okay check do we have blankets pillows clothes okay check do we have the food we need beef check grain check peanut butter and bologna sandwiches check and who put that on there ham you're such a ham so now it was clear god was right what he said was true. Culture was wrong. Make no mistake, even today, people can say all they want to about God and his word not being true, but there's going to come a day when they're going to know because every knee shall bow and everyone confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So once everything is lowered and it's time to close the one and only door, they take one last look around, see if anyone else is going to come in. Is anybody going to come in? No. Because remember Genesis 6, 5. The earth was full of human wickedness. God saw that everything that people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil, except for knowing his family. His mercy was available. The people had 120 years to listen to him preach. But no one would repent and believe. They refused, and now it's too late. Look at Genesis 7:16. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in you know i never noticed that really till i studied this this last week i've never preached this message before and i thought it was interesting god closed the door that's interesting so for 40 days and for 40 nights it's raining i mean this is catastrophic it changed the planet that's why scientists struggle to get accurate dates of the earth they have trouble putting the age on it. Even the highest mountaintop is underwater. But Noah and his family, they're safe. They're protected. They're cared for. Finally, after being in the boat for a little bit over a year, the waters start to recede. Now, you know that was tough being in that thing for over a year. But the waters start to recede, and God tells Noah, step out of the boat. And guess what the very first thing that Noah did? What's the very first thing that he did? Did he plan a celebration party after being in that thing for so long, for 370 days? Let's have a picnic. Let's have some snow cones. Let's share the joy that we can finally get on land again. I didn't like being in there so long. No, no. That's not the first thing he did. Did he scope out the land and say, I can choose the best lot, build the nicest house you've ever seen, man. The property brothers will be jealous of this thing. No, it's not what he did. His first thought wasn't about himself. His first thought wasn't even about his family. His first thought was about the one that provided, that cared and protected and saved his family, the one he walked close with. 
the Lord. Look at Genesis 8, 18 to 20. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Principle number four. Thank and worship God for who he is and what he's done. First thing he does, builds an altar. I'm going to take time to make a place of praise and worship to the Almighty God. First thing he does. Do you do that? Do you take time to thank and worship God for who he is and what he's done? Not just here at church. I'm talking about in your day-to-day -day life. He's the creator, man. He made the heavens and the earth. He's all-powerful, almighty. He is strong, all-knowing. He's holy, he's just, he's protector, he's provider. He's the same one that tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He's our father, he's our friend, and he loves you. And you should take time to tell him how great he is. Thank him for who he is and what he's done. So Christians, believers, if you're a believer here, let's just review those four principles in the life of Noah real quick. Live godly in an ungodly world. Trust and obey God, even when you don't understand. Witness in your work. And thank and worship God for who he is and what he's done. Lord, help us to apply these. Right, believers? Now, there's one more very important principle here for anyone who may not know Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, there are some salvation principles and parallels in the, li in the life of Noah that you need to see. Because Jesus talked about Noah. It says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 39, this is Jesus. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. See, God himself had a purpose and a plan for the ark to save Noah and his family and preserve his family line for the promise of a Savior. It's Jesus. God had a purpose and a plan for you. Salvation from sin and judgment for you. In John 3, 16, he said, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. There was one door on the ark, and there's one Savior, Jesus. He said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's by Jesus only. See, by nature, we're lost. We're sinful. We're wicked. We're evil. We're without excuse, and we're facing the prospect of judgment. But in this moment, right now, his mercy is available. See, if you're living without Christ, and you remain without Christ, then you die without Christ. And you'll be like the people in Noah's day. If you're saying, well, this thing's crazy, there's no way, I don't believe this, when you die, you'll end up separated from God in hell forever. That's truth. There was a day when the door of the ark was shut, God closed it, and that was it. And there's a day when the door of opportunity will happen where the door closes for us, but we don't know what that day is. So I have to ask you, do you know Jesus? Because today, the day of salvation, the door is open, and he loves you. 
He died on the cross to get punished for your sins so you wouldn't have to. And he rose again. He said, if you would believe in me, put your faith in me, I'll save you. I'll live with you now and forever. Now you can say, well, Jeremy, what does that mean, though, man? Put my faith in him, believe in him. I mean, I, I hear you, but what does that mean? Well, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Where does salvation come from? It says you have to repent, Luke said, to become a Christian. Repent means to turn to Jesus. What makes you turn to Jesus? Godly sorrow. Do you understand what he did? He got hurt for what you did wrong. He looked at you and he looked at me and said, you should get punished, but because I love you, you move. I'll take your spot. So you come to him and you say, God, I believe. Jesus, you died for me. You took my spot. You got punished for my sin. Would you please forgive me? I believe in you and I put my faith in you as my Savior. You surrender your life to him. If you're not a believer, would you give your life to Jesus today? Because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Why don't you bow your heads for a second, close your eyes. No one looks around. Let's just pray for a second. Christians, will you ask God to help you live godly in an ungodly world? To trust and obey even when you don't understand? To give you the courage and the love and the passion to talk about him and witness where you work? Would you tell him and thank him for how great he is and who he is? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and right now God's working in your heart, and you say, you know what, I'm not a Christian, I want to tell Jesus right now, it doesn't matter exactly what the words are, just in your heart, whatever way you want to say it, God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. My sin hurts you bad, would you please forgive me? You died on the cross, I believe in you, you rose again, I believe in you. I put my faith in you now, please be my Savior. Nobody looking around. If you just talk to Jesus about believing in him and giving him your life, would you just raise your hand real quick? No one looking around. Just raise your hand for a second. That's great. You can put your hand down. I know we'd love to talk with you some more. There'll be some elders, and I'll be out, and Don will be out. If you'd love to talk with us, man, we sure would love to, to talk to you about that. That's the best and most great and important decision you can ever make. So, Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name. For those that just gave their life to you, we praise you. We thank you for your love. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. That we could be forgiven and be with you now and forever. For the believers, Lord, would you help us to apply these truths from Noah's life? All because we're growing, we're falling more in love with you, the greatest commandment. Please help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.